almost said good morning. I feel like I'm saying good morning all night. Good evening. Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1. I'm kicking off the book of Judges. What's up? Good morning. Evening. I've been telling you, I've been doing it all night. Good evening. Sunday nights in the book of Judges. Um, I almost said I'm excited. I was excited about Judges until I read the book of Judges. How many of you guys, when you think of Judges, uh, what do you guys think of? When you think of the book of Judges, what are some things you guys think of? This is, a, this is a question. Samson. That's the one I think, think thought of. That was my favorite one, right? Strong. Got the ladies. Long hair. Pretty good. Pretty bad guy, actually. Pretty bad guy. What else? Who else we think of? We think of judges. Gideon. Gideon's another one, right? Coward at first. Respectfully. You know, we all have our moments of cowardice. That story ends pretty bad, too. We'll talk about that. When I think of judges, I think of like action pack. When you're ever trying to like convince someone that the Bible, basically the job of a, of a youth pastor is convincing people that the Bible is like cool to read. Like that's like most of my job. And when you do that, which it is cool to read. It is cool to read. Um, when you do that, a lot of times you go to books like Judges and you're like, dude, we're going to talk about Ehud in a few weeks. I don't know who's on for Ehud. It's chapter three. Uh, hopefully we split three up because there's Ehud and Nathaniel, both really cool stories like Murder, like sneak spy stuff, sneaking blades. It's a really cool story. I think of like action-packed adventure. When you read the book of Judges in complete form, this book is a brutal book that ends really poorly. How many of you guys ever watched the show Monk? You the show Monk? You, ever, you guys ever watched that show? I love that show. Uh, I love that show. It's like an old like detective show. Uh, when I would watch that, me and my dad are the same way. When we would watch it, y'all know like how he, he's got like, um, what is it, OCD? Like really bad OCD. Which if you have that, this is, I'm respectfully, this, listen to this respectfully. Um, in that show, he would have moments that are like really cringy to watch. You guys know what I'm talking about? It'd be like, he would be doing, he would be embarrassing himself. And I, mean, I could not watch it. I, me and my dad would fast forward all the scenes where he was like embarrassing himself. Um, because it was just, oh, it was like brutal to watch. But the reason I kept watching that show, it's a good show, um, is because every episode ended happily. You know, he gets the bad guy, he gets the flex on him, and it, I don't know if he's doing much flexing, Adrian Monk, but it's a good show. He just, it ends well, and you're like, man, that was great, I'll get the next one. Next one starts, starts the same way. It's very uncomfortable, very cringy, very brutally honest human behavior, and then it ends well. You, it's like a, it's a, it's a terrible cycle that I got myself into. The Book of Judges is similar, except the Book of Judges does not end well. It's all bad, beginning, like the first three verses are good. The rest of the book, pretty much, with moments of God's faithfulness, pretty bad. The, the, and we'll talk about it in a sec, but the end of the story is maybe the worst, the worst of it all. And uh, let's get into it. I know you're excited about the book of Judges. Now you're ready to study the book of Judges like I was. I was literally like... Coleman was supposed to open this off last week. Obviously, um, we stayed in testimony time. He didn't get to preach. Um, but I was going to get ver chapter 1 anyway, and he was going to do an overview. So I'm kind of going to do an overview, um, and then we'll kind of preach through chapter 1. But I was excited, man. I was going to get to teach about cool stuff. And I was like, oh, these stories all end terribly. Um, but even in our terrible endings, God is still the same. And that's really the theme of the book of Judges. But let's get into it. Judges chapter 1. Now, before we get into Judges, we got to... Finish in Joshua. Um, obviously, 
Andy and all those guys did a great job finishing up the book of Joshua. We're in that for a while. The story ends with Joshua kind of giving the children of Israel this pledge. He gives them the speech. And then they um, commit. Let's read Joshua 24, verse uh, 24, 24. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will be will we serve and his voice will we obey. This is their covenant from the nation of Israel to their leader who is dying. It says, the Lord our God will be our God and we will serve his voice. Number 25 says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us, it shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So they make this covenant with the Lord to follow after him. Now, we go to chapter 1 in Judges. Now, so he dies in the end of Joshua. He dies again in chapter 1. Now, after the death of Joshua, same guy, same death, it came to pass. Interesting, you'll see this next week. He dies in chapter 2, too. Chapter 2 starts off. Now, after Joshua, they just, they like killing this poor guy off. Now, after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel, now this is the good part, this is the most positive part maybe in this book, except for the working of God. This is the most positive part by man in this book. The children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Now, let's think democracy-wise in the nation of Israel. They were slaves for 400 years, right? Slaves for 400 years. For 40 years, they followed after Moses, right? Moses led them through as they wandered around uh, the the desert there. And then they transitioned to Joshua, same kind of dictatorship. But obviously the Lord, if you read uh, the Old Testament, he, he um, he had this system of governments that worked throughout. But Joshua was the main leader as they conquered the Canaanite land. Now they've conquered the land of Canaan in the sense of They've won, they've defeated the main kings, but as we land in Joshua, as we're going to read all throughout the book of Judges, they did not completely wipe out the land of Canaan, right? There's still a lot of people there. There's still a lot of armies there, a lot of active armies. There's still a lot of active war there. So they've kind of lost Joshua, and now it's like, okay, we don't have Moses anymore. We don't have Joshua anymore. We don't have a king, which is another theme kind of in Judges. What do we do? Who do we follow? So they... Do the right thing, right? They finally learned, maybe. Maybe the nation of Israel has finally learned. Now look at myself. Maybe I've finally learned. Maybe we have finally learned to do what we're supposed to do, seek the Lord. They seek the Lord. The Lord says, yes, Judah's got it. And from verse number 3 to around verse number 19, Judah, the tribe of Judah, along with the, uh, uh, the Simeon, these men rally, and they go out and they kill a bunch of enemies. They, def- they win. They win good wars. And it comes to verse number 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountains, but, the, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. The Lord's with Judah, but he comes up against a foe that he's not prepared to defeat. If you keep working through, the tribe of Joseph, kind of a similar story, rise up. They defeat many people, but they leave one man alone. He wins. And then the rest of the book, from about verse 27 on, is a listing of nine different tribes that failed to drive out the inhabitants of, of Canaan. Literally, if you read through, which we will eventually in, in this message, neither did Manasseh drive out, um, neither did Ephraim drive out, neither did Zebulon drive out. They just failed to completely um, obey what the Lord had said. Now, they failed to obey. Judges 2 is kind of another overview of the book. We're doing lots of overview, and then we'll get to the message. Short message, lots of overview. Judges 2 is kind of an overview from the perspective of God. This is kind of a military government uh, overview. 
Judges 2 is about the angel of the Lord speaking to the nation of Israel, but it's the same kind of story. They fail to obey, and then Judges 3 kicks off, and God raises up these judges, right? These judges are just normal men and women. They were not elected officials. They were not in a royal line, and they were not ruling over the people yet or prepared to. He raises them up because of um, kind of the the muck and mire the nation of Israel had got themselves into, and they defeat the enemies, they raise up, and we go through several of them. The first three are good guys, Othaniel, Ehud, and Deborah, good guys and ladies, excuse me, let me pay my respect, um, Deborah as well, awesome, really cool story, I can't wait till we get to learn about her. Um, they are really cool judges, they follow after the Lord, they rule well, and then the book of Judges just slowly declines. You have Gideon, like we said, who starts out kind of cowardice, but we all have moments of that. Um, then the Lord uses him, and then he defeats his enemies, but then he turns against and kills a lot of his own men because of his temper, and then he raises up a golden idol, and then his story ends. It's like, okay, rough, good start, bad ending. Next guy, Jephthah, another guy who was cast out. He was kind of an outcast. He was living in the mountains away from his people, his chosen people, the Lord raises him up, uses him, um, like the, the nation, the elders flee to the mountains to get him, he comes down, kind of kills everybody, but he's not really familiar with the character of God, he makes his covenant with God, that, um, and this is a very interesting, I hope Steve gets this one, this is a very interesting story, the story of Jephthah, um, when he goes in, he makes his covenant with God, the next thing he sees, he will kill, um, that's his daughter, walks through the door, it's this really dramatic story, uh, there's kind of debate on whether it was him, he actually had to kill her, or whether it was a thing where she had to like retain her virginity forever, could never produce an offspring, um, Steve will get into it, I'm sure, um, but once again, he makes his covenant with God, doesn't know the character of God, and it kind of ends in this very tragic ending. The next guy, right, Samson, the most maybe tragic of them all. Um, strength, power, the Lord's blessing, the Lord's hand obviously on him. He works through, he, he lies, he cheats, he steals. Um, he does all these, breaks the law, breaks the covenant, um, does all these things. The Lord still continues. Eventually he gets his hair cut off, loses his strength. And then God in this miraculous moment gives him his strength back. He kills all these Philistines. Um, and then his story ends. It's like a suicidal um, victory. Is that a vic? I mean, is that a vic? Can we call that a victory? I mean, when I, in kids' class, we call it a victory. It doesn't really feel like a victory when you're reading it. Um, and then the story goes on, and this tribe of Dan is dealing with the their. Uh, they're dealing with their force of the mountains by the Amorites. They kind of lose. They're kind of up here. Um, they, they end up murdering this other city. Um, then you go on to the last kind of story in the book of Judges, which a, a man of the tribe of Levi is traveling. He comes to the city. These men come to the city. They want to rape him, and he gives them his wife. Literally, that's the story. We'll get to it. He gives them his wife. They rape and murder her. He takes her remains, chops her up into 12 pieces, and sends her out. And then that starts the civil war uh, between the 11 tribes and Benjamin. And then guess what? Story ends. I'm, I hope you're excited for the book of Judges because I am excited. Right? These, I'm telling you, I was literally studying this. I was reading all my, reading all my commentaries, watching my videos, and I was like, okay, it's going to get good. Let me see. Let me see. And it really now, there's moments where God uses Gideon to defeat, and there's moments where God uses Samson. There's moments where God uses uh, Ehud. And these small moments of where God uses undeserving people to do miraculous things, and that's the story of us. That's the story of the gospel. However, I like a good ending, and this book doesn't have it. But doesn't have it. Now, this is what's in between the leadership of Joshua and the leadership of Saul, right? The next book is Ruth, which kind of talks about the, the bloodline of David, which is the eventual king that Jesus will come from, obviously. But the very next thing is Saul. So you go from these 
good rulers, Moses, Joshua, you have the judges, and then you go Saul, David, and this kingly line. My question is this, why does this book exist? Why did God use judges? Like, why not go from Moses, Joshua, Saul, even Saul, I mean, I could deal with some Saul, Saul, David. Why have this period, these years and years where these judges, these unworthy, terrible men who don't deserve the, the, the shine that we give them because, I mean, read their stories. It's all bad stories. And these bad nation, this nation who did not know Jesus, who did not know God, who, who forsook him over and over again, who continu- continually disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed. And they would get a little bit of something, they would disobey and disobey and disobey. And then God finally gives us Saul. Now, there's lots of answers to this question, but when you think of why does this book exist? Every sermon I, I preach, I like the last question I ask myself is, why does this sermon matter? As I was writing this, I was saying, why does this book exist? And my conclusion, and we could all have different conclusions, this is not a gospel thing, this is just my, my thought. This book exists to show us what life void of God leads to. What life void of God leads to. See, we live in a very evangelical Christian community, and we very rarely get a peak of life void of God. And the nation of Israel found themselves void of God over and over and over and over again. Void of God. Did what was right in their own eyes, the book says. Um, They had no leadership, so they did whatever they wanted, and it led to constant turmoil. Disobedience constantly leads to turmoil. And the nation of Israel took a long time to see it. Took a really long time to see it. Now, we have 20-20 vision, right? We get to look at the end of the book. We know Jesus is coming, right? We know, hey, man, the Gospels are coming. This is all like a, uh, I was reading, listening to something. I was like, this is, this is just another, another line in the, in the foretelling of Jesus coming. And I'm like, I get that. I'm excited for that. They didn't see that then. Now, maybe some of them, maybe the smart ones, maybe the ones who were looking forward to the Messiah, all those things. But 20-20 vision, I look at these people as like very, very dumb people who continually, continually, continually disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed and would not learn their lesson. Just wouldn't learn their lesson. Wouldn't learn their lesson. And, and I, we could make the parallels. How many of us don't learn our lesson, right? We don't learn our lesson. And yet in the midst of chaos, in the midst of failure, talk about failure. This book was a, like a magnum opus on failure of a nation. In the midst of failure, in the midst of chaos, God was still faithful. Undeservingly so. Undeservingly so. Faithful. Faithful. And I'm thankful for that. And we need to know that. We need to know that even in the midst of chaos and failure, God's promises are still fulfilled. That covenant that Joshua made in the end of, in the end of Joshua, the covenant that he made with the Lord and with the nation, God's end was never dropped. He never failed his part. Now, the nation of Israel failed it over and over and over again, but God didn't. And you need to know that. In the promises of God all throughout the Bible, you need to know that the failure will never be on his end. Sometimes it feels like it is. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it feels like maybe he dropped the ball on this one. Like maybe he didn't see this one coming. And I promise you, he didn't. I promise you, he didn't. Whatever it is, he will still fulfill his part of every single bargain, every single one. Now, if you learn something throughout this book of study of Judges, we kind of work through chapter one really quickly. Learn that obedience is worth it and disobedience is not. 
that's going to be the theme. I feel bad for these guys. It's gonna, there's, there's moments in this where it's going to be like, yep, same thing happened. They messed up. God grows up a judge. That's the theme throughout. If you cannot walk away from this study learning that obedience is worth it and disobedience is not, you're missing a very, very big picture of this book. There's several things we can learn from this first chapter, uh, but I want to specifically talk about obedience. Why be obedient? Why are we obedient? Well, there's three things from this story of Judah throughout here that we're going to work through. I'm talking about super quick. Let's put on our, um, I don't know, glasses? I don't know. What's smart? Something smart. Let's put it on. And I, I have glasses on, and I'm not that smart. I'm not very smart. So I don't know. Put something on, and uh, we will work through it. Number one is this. Perceived obedience can still be disobedience. Perceived obedience can still be disobedience. If you look through this, verses 3 through 10, there's this story of Judah rising up and going. The Lord raises him up. The Lord says, Judah's the one that's going to go to war for you. And he does just that. He goes to war. He wipes out all these different nations. He clears all these towns. He's rallying and rallying and rallying. And then verse number 19 comes and it says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. Now, chariots of iron... In the same verse it says the Lord is with Judah. In the same verse it says, but he could not drive them out because of the chariots of iron. So you know what that tells me? Now, could be wrong. We could disagree. That tells me that the Lord was okay with them waiting to strengthen themselves. Because it says the Lord was with them. They could not drive them out. But, verse number 28, and it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute, which means like to enslave labor, and did not utterly drive them out. So listen, even once they regained their strength, they did not obey. So as much as you read this chapter, because I've read this chapter a lot this past couple weeks, as much as you read this chapter and you want to say, well, at least Judah obeyed, it looks like they did, but unfortunately they did not. The reality is this. Sometimes those that look like they are closest to God are the farthest from his hand, from his hand and from his spirit. Just because we play a part, just because we play a show, just because we look like we know God, because just because we look like we are in obedience to God does not mean that we are. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 17, the Lord looks on, man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. That is true in 1 Samuel, that's true today. But many times our Christianity is based on what we can pass for other people. Our, our, our decisions, everything is just based on not... Am I obedient to what the Lord has called me to do, but am I passing the Christian test that my community has for me, that my spouse has for me, that my parents have for me, my, my ch kids have for me. All those things that those people around you deem as, wow, he is at least in a good place. We live to that standard rather than the standard of the word of God. Judah lived to a standard that looked good. He had all these victories. But when the time came, when he was strengthened, when he had the resources to do what he needed to do, he failed. He failed. And that's the story of judges, the story of all these tribes. When I went, I went to a very conservative uh, Christian school. We had, to wear a, um, we had to wear a tie to class, um, which, hey, I'll, I don't mind a tie every now and then, but every day, 7 a.m. classes, it, it was tough. It was tough. I'm, I'm, that's a weird thing to complain about, but it was tough. Um, but I got to the point around two or three months in, I was not, I was a decent student, but I didn't, I, I, I wasn't, a, this was a bad time in my life, guys, a little confession right here. I did not care about anything other than, passing my classes, and it uh, came to a point where it's cold, it's Knoxville, Tennessee, I'm freezing to death, and I get to wear a jacket, right? So what I do is, instead of wearing my suit, instead of wearing my dress shirt and my tie, I put on a t-shirt, and I get one of these, and I zip it all the way up, and it'd be tight on my neck, and I would just go to class, like this, all day, 
And there's about 500, 600 students. No one's going to say anything, right? I kind of passed all the tests, kind of got through every class. No teacher called me out. If a teacher said zip down my shirt, I would have gotten demerits, but they didn't. I kind of made it through. And I made it through for years doing this. I didn't wear a suit. I didn't wear a tie for years. Um, just kind of zipping my jacket all the way up. When it got warm, got a little uncomfortable, still wore the jacket because I did not want to wear the tie. And what happened was I was following the rules in the sense of I was perceived to be following the rules. I was perceived to be obedient. And that was enough for me. The perception of obedience was enough rather than the heart of obedience. And a lot of Christians fall in that category. A lot of Christians will attend church on Sunday just so they can be perceived as obedient. A lot of people will be in ministry. A lot of people serve in ministries just to be perceived as obedient. Sometimes we'll do it for good reasons. Sometimes we'll do it for the sake of our kids. We'll do it because we want our kids to have a good example. Our heart's not in it. Our spirit's not in it. Listen. Obedience is worth it. And a heart of obedience is the only true obedience. Practical outward worship means nothing to God. Inward, heartfelt, spirit-led worship, spirit-led obedience is what he's looking for. We move to number two. We move to number two. We're moving quickly. we got stuff to do. Perceived obedience can still be disobedience. Number two, initial obedience does not guarantee complete obedience. Just because we initially obey does not mean that we have obeyed. Verse number 22 says this, In the house of Joseph, right, this is the tribe of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to describe Bethel, now the name of the city before was Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city and we will show thee mercy. He says, if you show us where we go, we'll let you live. And when he showed them the entrance of the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. Listen, they started out obeying by wiping out the city, but they left one man alive. And now that sounds drastic, right? That sounds like we should be showing grace. It's one guy. Come on, let the guy live. Well, that one guy went and started a city in Luz and was another enemy of the children of Israel down the road because although they initially obeyed, although Joseph initially did what he was supposed to do, they, the tribe of Joseph, they found a way to disobey. The story of Judges is finding a way to disobey. The story of many of our lives, the story of my life so often is finding a way to disobey. And that's exactly what just happened here. Initial obedience, yep, going to do it, but I'm going to spare you. Well, guess what? That guy just went down the road, started a whole new family. These guys were having kids like quicker than some of y'all. They were making a city pretty quick. All of a sudden, boom, guess what? You got another enemy. Why? Because initial obedience wasn't complete obedience. Many of us have had moments in our lives where we heard the call of God, we knew we were convicted of something, and we obeyed. We jumped out in obedience. We jumped out in courage. We jumped out with, with whatever it was, and it started out well and it sputtered off. Many of us were involved in ministries and led ministries for time and years and years and years. And it was initially, man, that's great, but to not finish is not obedience. Many of us were evangelistic at some point in our life. Maybe when we first got saved, we had the fire of the Holy Spirit. We had, we had that evangelistic fire in our bones. And everybody, conversation we want to have. I was talking to Doug about it before. He's getting, pass, he's getting fired up just telling me a story. He's getting passionate about evangelism, passionate about sharing the gospel. And we used to have that. We were initially evangelistic when we got saved. We were initially evangelistic when we were first growing in our walk. But whatever has come and time has come, uh, busyness has come, something has come and our obedience has gone from initially obedience to disobedience. And there's so many things the Word of God commands us to do that we reject simply because we used to, we were at one point, but our, but our obedience has become disobedience. 
That's what happens to us. That's what happens to us. That's what happened to me. That's what's happened to all of us at some point in time. I, uh, if you read parenting books, which I try to read parenting books, I try to talk to people about being parents. I'd like to be a good parent. My daughter is in a stage where she does not uh, like me at all. Like she won't even like acknowledge me. It hurt, breaks my heart every day. But I'm learning to live with it. They say when you're disciplining, the biggest thing, um, any whatever discipline form you choose, the biggest thing is what? Consistency. Consistency. This is like a little honest moment. Sometimes I have a hard time because I want to be consistent, but I also want to be able to show grace. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a hard line to draw because it's like, got to be consistent. But now, you know, I'd like a moment of grace. And then all those moments of grace become everything is a moment of grace. And then you're consistently showing grace, which is great, but then there's no discipline. You're just grace, which I'm like, well, God gives me a lot of grace. And this is just like a conversation I'm having with myself every day. I don't know. And she's one. I mean, this, we're not even having conversations yet. I don't even. But I'm like. I just want to be consistent. Listen, consistency is hard. It sounds really good. Be consistent. Be consistent. Brother, that's hard. Consistency in anything is hard. Consistency in, listen, obeying the word of God. We'd all like to say, man, we're on a Sunday night, man, our kids are in Awana. We're having, we're, we're, this is the core of you, Fuller Baptist Church. We'd love to say, hey, man, when the Bible says something, we obey it. But the reality is being as consistent with that as we'd like is tough. But we, like Coleman said this morning, we must be people who are committed to consistency. When the Bible says something, we obey. When the Bible says not to do something, we don't do it. When it says to do something, we do it. When the Bible's passionate about something, we're passionate about it. Because obedience is always worth it. And disobedience never is. And just because you started out, or you were at one point, doesn't mean you can't get back to that. And I, I say this, you need to get back to that. You need to turn your initial obedience from disobedience back to obedience. A lot of obedience talk. But that's the story of Judges. Initial obedience does not guarantee complete obedience. Third is this. Disobedience is contagious. Disobedience is contagious. It starts off, it starts off with Judah disobeying, right? Now his disobeying, man, it could have been justified. They had iron, but then they strengthen. They still don't disobey. And then Joseph kind of has an incomplete disobedience. And then Manasseh doesn't drive out, the, uh, drive out the tribe. Then Ephraim doesn't drive out, verse number 30. Then Zebulon doesn't drive out, verse number 31. And Asher did not drive out, and verse number 33. Then Naphtali didn't drive out, and then Dan didn't drive out. And then all of a sudden you have all these tribes who have seen the example of Judah, seen the example of, oh, we don't actually have to drive out all these people. And all of a sudden, the entire nation of Israel is in a state of disobedience. Because disobedience is contagious. Back when I, I used to wrestle in high school. Terrible wrestler, but I, I did it. Just got beat every day. Um, the way we started wrestling practice was we had to run. Our coach called them perimeters. We had to run the perimeter of the entire school, um, which from start to finish was one mile exactly. So we'd have to run. So practice started at 3.30. Before practice started, we'd have to run three perimeters, so three miles just to kick practice off. And I'm not a runner, not a runner. So we would run. And you have a couple guys who were like state champions who would just be like killing us um, so far in the back and uh, just struggling along. But eventually, I saw one of them cut the football field. Just cut it. I was like, we're allowed to cut the football field? He did it, right? He's the leader of our team. He's a state champion. He was a coach's son. He's like fighting, uh, kick, he's a kickboxing world champion right now. Dude's a legend. I'm like, if he can cut the field, I can cut the field. So guess what? I started cutting the field. All of a sudden, we're all cutting the field. Turns out, coach went, uh, coach went out one day. Turns out, we were not allowed to cut the field. But 
because I saw him cut the field, I'm like, I'm allowed to cut the field. Now, did I know it was disobedience? Of course I knew it was disobedience. However, when one person does it, I can do it too. And all the tribes just learned the lesson that disobedience is contagious. It's contagious. It's easy. As much as disobedience is contagious, guess what? Obedience is just as contagious. When you follow what God's called you to do, just as contagious when you reject it. So the choice is yours. For everyone you lead, especially, and all of us have lead someone, all of us have influence over someone, all of us do. So your family, your kids, your grandkids, the people at your job, all of us have influence over these people. And how we decide to obey or disobey will have a large part in how they decide to obey or disobey. Because it's socially contagious. Look at, go down to the kids class. Go to your work. Every single time. If people find out we can cut corners, we will. Now the reality is, it seems like it's grace for these people to allow this, these people to live. It seems graceful. That, that's where I struggle. Sometimes disobedience seems justified. You guys know what I'm talking about? I remember when I think of Rahab. I think of Rahab and uh, her lying to the... I used to debate this with one of my friends in high school. If, if her sin was worth sinning because she lied to the guards, right? And the, the two spies got to live and then they eventually came in and brought down Jericho. And sometimes we think, man... Why do we have to, uh, what the nation of Israel did, they ended up taking a lot of the Canaanites and enslaving them for slave labor, which when you're starting a whole new nation, it's probably good to have some, some labor around, you know, it kind of makes sense. Um, and they're like, why have to, I mean, you think, these aren't warriors, these are women and children, these are families that the Lord ordered them to kill. Like, y'all see that, right? This is not just like, oh, go kill the armies. No, kill everybody. Um, and I could definitely see getting in that moment where disobedience makes a lot of sense. You feel justified. You feel like that's the right way to move. But listen, if you learn anything from tonight, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. If you learn anything from judges, no matter how justified we feel we are, no matter how much we think we know, disobedience to God and His Word is never, ever worth it. Children of Israel learned that for the next several years, several decades. They learned that their disobedience is never worth it. And it takes them a lot of times to learn it. It takes them a long time. It takes them a couple generations. Guess what? They get to Saul. They still weren't the brightest people. They still had to learn a lot more times. Look at David. Look at his sons. They still had to keep learning that disobedience isn't worth it. Don't wait your entire life to learn that lesson. I don't want to wait my entire life to learn that lesson. As I was writing this, le as I was writing this sermon, I was like, man, where are the parts of my life where I'm just okay with disobeying? I got to get that right. Because it's never worth it. And obedience always is. Every time that one of those judges finally obeyed the call of God and rose up and, and freed the children of Israel from whatever terrible part of life they had got themselves in, it always was worth it. Um, and then they went right back to their disobedience. Every single time. It's this roller coaster. Your life doesn't have to be that roller coaster. For some of you it is. In times of my life, it has been. It's that roller coaster of disobedience, God's undeserving blessing, yay. Disobedience, God's undeserving blessing, yay. And it's this roller coaster from spiritual high to depressing low, to spiritual high to depressing low. And every single time, it comes on two things. Number one, disobedience. And number two, God's undeserved blessing. Disobedience brings us down. God's undeserved blessing brings us up. That's the story of Judges. Don't let it be the story of you. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. We'll stand. Matt's going to sing a song. If you've got business to do with God, do it. Matt, I know it's a Sunday night. I know we're all friends. If you've got something you need to say to God, go ahead and stand. Because we're slow standers. Stand. Bow your head, close your eyes. Let's pray. And uh, Matt, you sing.